It's time. It's time. Time to get in the zone. Time to get in the zone. With the 49ers web zone. This is the No Huddle Podcast with Al, Zane, and Brian. We are Odyssey's 49ers web zone, No Huddle Podcast. I'm Al Sackle along with Zane Nafi. And our guest today spent six years with the NFL Network as a producer of Good Morning Football and hosting the segment Hammer Time before moving over to FanDuel TV where you can catch him now. He is Matt Hamilton. Matt, thanks for the time. Guys, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So, Matt, you've been making some moves with your career moving over to FanDuel, and I'm interested to hear how that came about. But first, I want to go back a little because I know know your background is more on the football side of things, and then you end up on the TV side with Good Morning Football, and you were there pretty much from the inception. Can you take us back to landing that gig and kind of what led up to that for you? Yeah, so as you said, I did start on the football side. In college, I was a student coach at Missouri with the quarterbacks there in the uh, the Chase Daniel era and early Blaine Gabbert. And um, yeah, after that, I was coaching high school football for a little bit, trying to figure out what direction I was going to go in. I got an opportunity to go to NFL Films and work on a show they had called Playbook, which was very X's and O's based. They needed somebody that knew that side of the game a little bit better to, to help break things down and I learned TV production once I got in the door there. Um, Took a little break in between to go work for the Lions in their scouting department. And um, then ended up, you know, coming back, going over to Good Morning Football. um, Because I just saw, you know, I heard about what they wanted to do with the show. I saw the opportunity that would be there. And I thought it would be a great thing to be a part of. Um, Hoping it would last, you know, um, more than a couple of months with it being so new and, and, you know, something we were launching from scratch, you, you didn't know exactly how it was going to turn out, but I was excited about it and, and wanted to take that leap. So that's how uh, that ended up coming about. And luckily, luckily everything worked out from there. It's funny you say that because we had Kyle Brand on, I don't know, maybe a few years ago and he said the same thing. You guys were going into this blind, not knowing really oh, yeah. what was going to happen, if you were going to be on the air for two months or what it was going to be. And, and the show becomes wildly popular, obviously. What, were you surprised that it took off the way that it did? Or did you really think like, you know what, we may be a little different, but we have something special going here. I did. I remember the first rehearsal that we had and technically production wise, we were kind of a mess, but you saw the four of them together with it with Kay, Nate, Peter and Kyle. And you knew there, there was something there and, uh, and it was, it, it had the chance to be something special if we could get out of our own way. <laughs> and, right. um, Luckily, we figured out that that production stuff and the technical stuff and um, really were able to put them in the position to shine. But it, it really was the chemistry at that desk that that made it what it is. And, you know, we just tried not to screw it up for them. <laughs> but but you ended up you ended up on air. I mean, you end up having the hammer time segment there. And so how does something like that come about? Because you're a producer and then you end up with this segment. Is that something that you have to pitch to them or do they come to you? How did how did that work? So I never saw that really becoming a possibility for myself, to be honest. It was, uh, it all actually spurred out of COVID um, when we were doing the home shows. And, you know, I would always prep like Kyle and Kay and Peter and Nate in the mornings. But, you know, that was kind of done. It was just one-on-one time, just talking through the show, helping them come up with ideas and stuff. And then when we went to the home shows, their home cams were on as they were prepping. And and one of the producers um, down at NFL Films heard me talking Kyle through the show. And he's like, man, he's like, you have so many, uh, like, I love the way you see the game. You have so many ideas. I had no idea that you do this every show like this. Like you have so many thoughts of your own that I'd love to give you a a chance to get out there. So 
um, when when DraftKings at the time came to them with this segment idea, um, wanting to get some sports betting talk into the show, uh, they they pitched me without my knowledge even, and and DraftKings went for it. And um, I initially was like, I'm not sure I want to do that. I don't know if I feel comfortable. And like, no, the deal's done. You're doing it. So they kind of pushed me into it. I'm glad they did because. I've really enjoyed doing it and it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun and, and helped open even more doors. Yeah. And as time goes on, you know, things change, people leave things like that. And, and Nate moves on and Kay moves on. And then you kind of drop the bomb that, that you're going over to FanDuel too, where obviously Kay is. Um, what went into that decision for you to make them move? And was it a difficult one? Oh man, it was the toughest decision I ever had to make, to be honest. It was, um, you know, uh, that show starting something from the ground up like that, you feel such an attachment to it mm-hmm. and um, getting Jamie and Jason in there too. And, and the show, you know, transitioning so well to having two new hosts. Um, it made it so tough because there's such great people too. And it was like, I got to work with them for a few months and it was awesome. And, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, I was leaving them before, you know, as we were just starting to get close. Um, so it was really, really hard, but ultimately, uh, with FanDuel, just uh, the chance to start something new again, um, you know, with that network launching from scratch, obviously K, K show up in Adams launching from scratch, um, you know, that got me excited again to be to be in on something from the ground floor. And uh, also they, they were offering me more opportunities to do some stuff in front of the camera, which I feel like I was starting to grow into. And, and I wanted to I wanted to take a chance. I wanted to bet on myself a little bit and put myself out there a little bit more and, and see what we could do. Now, Matt, like, I, I kind of want to give everybody a, a window into what you do and like uh, the, the dedication that it takes. But like, there's also the idea that when you're super close to something and you're doing it all the time, there's a level of burnout. So like, how do you keep yourself motivated despite having the, the long hours of film grinding and long hours of producing and all the stuff that happens behind the scenes? Oh man, it, it it was tough at times. I mean, it's, uh, I loved it so much. That's what kept me going. You know, I, I, I love what I do and I love the game and uh, you know, I know it's such a cliche thing. It doesn't, it, it, I mean, cause sometimes it did feel like work. Don't get me wrong, but some, but a lot of time it doesn't cause I'm doing something that I enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it did get to that point, you know, with like getting up at three 30 in the morning, every morning and sometimes working until 10 30, 11 at night um, mm-hmm. and doing that for six years, <laughs> you know, it was a lot, but um, it, it's something that I love doing. And, you know, um, that's definitely not, you know, not why I left because I enjoyed doing it so much. But there, I did have to fight off that burnout a few times. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, sleep helps now and again. <laughs> Every oh, once yeah, in a while. Definitely. <laughs> um, so now, like, switching gears to what's going on in the NFL right now and the, the current landscape, uh, specifically in the NFC, there's a log jam in the NFC right now. And the 49ers are a perfect example of that. They're a half game out of the division lead. And they're also one game from being out of the playoffs completely. If the season ended today, can you remember kind of a time when the NFL season had so much parody across the board? It was just so wide open. Man, thinking back, I, I feel like there's been a few times, but nothing, nothing quite like this because even those times where there was some parody, there was still, you know, you expected the Patriots to be around at the end and they were, um, Mm. you know, the Packers were always kind of that way. They, you figure you're going to see them in the title game, no matter what. Uh, so 
it's never quite been like this. Cause even with the Eagles, as great as they've been this year, even with the Vikings with that eight and one record, I could see those teams falling, you know, the first, whoever doesn't get the bye, I could see them falling uh, the first weekend of the playoffs. So I really do think it's wide open. And, and I kind of feel that way in both conferences, obviously the AFC hierarchy is a little bit more established, but as we saw with the bills, all it takes is one slip up and all of a sudden there are all these teams waiting to climb over you on that ladder. So uh, it's, it's been an absolutely fascinating season so far. Yeah. And the, the Niners kind of seem to be the, the trendy pick from some to come out of the NFC because they have a lot of what it takes. And then especially after Christian McCaffrey trade, which I'll get to in a second, but they have, they have a championship caliber roster. They have a really good head coach and Jimmy Garoppolo is playing his best football since he's been here. So a lot of people are, are realizing that and, and kind of saying, hey, if they can kind of put it all together and get healthy, they can kind of make a run here. What things do you feel like need to go right for the Niners to be able to make that like a reality? I think you hit the biggest thing, which is health. I think that's the biggest thing that's held them back so far this year. But it seems like things are coming together at the right time. And, and I'm one of those people that's that's really high on this team when all the pieces are there. And I, I think they're still working out some things from a chemistry perspective because they haven't been able to play with their with their full lineup uh, at any point this year. It seems like there's always been someone out. So I think now getting some of those guys back, you're, it's going to take a little bit of time for it to gel. Um, they're a little bit behind some teams from that standpoint. I think we saw it last weekend against the Chargers. But from a talent perspective, from a coaching perspective, I, I, I fully expect this team to be in the mix and contention in the NFC once again. Man, I can say that from from a 49ers fan perspective and a Bay Area perspective or wherever you are, if you're a 49ers fan, when Trey Lance went down, like it was just the most Ugh. jarring thing for us. It was just unbelievable because that was like worst case scenario. Because if he played this year and he was just not great, like that would be one thing. But he just him going out with the season ending injury was just the worst outcome. So we went from like that low to the high of basically leading the division for a little bit and now being right there. So it's been it's kind of been an up and down season. And it hit another kind of high point when they traded for Christian McCaffrey, which no one really saw coming. Like we heard whispers, right? But nobody saw that coming. Yeah. Um, what was the, the feel kind of around the league when they did actually make that trade? I mean, there was a lot of excitement uh, for all of us covering it too, because as you said, it wasn't something we necessarily saw coming. And uh, it's just, getting him with Kyle Shanahan, I think was, was a fun thing for us. Like we couldn't wait to see, how Shanahan was going to use him, and we saw it in that in that second game. I mean, just every imaginable way you could get the ball in his hands, he did it. Um, I think we're still there's still a lot of untapped stuff that we're going to see. I think there there is an element of like saving him, trying to preserve him, keep him fresh for later in the season where they're really going to need him. But uh, but uh, I mean, it's as exciting as it gets, and and it also it also signaled to me like, hey, they're going for it. They're all in right now because. Mm-hmm. They wanted to outbid the Rams, make sure the Rams didn't get their hands on him. And, uh, you know, th- that th- giving up a, a premium draft pick for a guy that's making a lot of money and you're going to have to figure out down the line, like that's that's a sign that, hey, this this management is all in on, on what this team has right now. A lot of the talk locally around the team, though, is sort of, I guess, one frustration, Matt, that might be able to derail them has sort of been – that they've had trouble scoring consistently. And, and Kyle's been a little bit mm-hmm. conservative in some of the way he's gone about things. And even if you look, 2019, they only put up 20 points against the Chiefs. 
uh, last year in the NFC Championship game. They only put up 17. And the frustrations this year with all that talent, they really haven't put it together quite yet. And even going back to last season, I think the last 18 games, they're averaging about, about 22 points a game. With that much talent on that side of the ball, why do you think there's been some issues with scoring in terms of Shanahan and his offense? I mean, I, I think it's it, it, a lot of the time it comes down to Jimmy. Um, you know, I, I like Jimmy. I think he's a solid quarterback. But, I mean, you guys know better than anybody. You don't know necessarily always week to week which version of him you're going to get. And when you get good Jimmy, this offense is – it looks unstoppable. When Jimmy's a little bit off his game or he's pressing a little bit too much, it can get ugly. And uh, I think some of the some of the reshuffling of the offensive line that had to be done, I think that's been part of it as well. I think they've gotten a little bit stronger as the season's gone on. But when you lose some key pieces to your line like that, you know, it's a tough thing to overcome sometimes. And we saw, I mean, you see it with the Rams right now, losing Whitworth and and some other pieces, yeah. it's thrown them into shambles. So, um, you know, I think that's been a part of it. Um, but I do think it's also Jimmy. And I think, you know, I think Jimmy's gotten a little better for the most part. You know, there's still some ups and downs, but I think it's it's been a steady progression uh, with each passing week this year. Um, you know, you also have to remember he missed uh, with him missing all of training camp with the shoulder and just having to get back, you know, physically back into shape, but also back on the same page. He wasn't getting those mental reps. He wasn't getting those reps to develop mentally either um, in camp and, and in the preseason. So. Um, I think it makes sense that it would take him a little bit longer to kind of look like himself again. And I think we're, we're seeing him start to get there, but there is always that, that nervousness that comes with him. Yeah. And, and, and one, one credit I can give to Kyle Shanahan, he good head coaches are the CEOs, right. And they put good people around them. And we've seen Robert Sala get a head coaching job and Mike McDaniel, what he's doing in Miami. Now D'Amico Ryan's looks like a rising star in the league. Do you see him as somebody that can be a hot head coaching candidate this off season? I do. I, I, I really do. I think he's done such a phenomenal job at that defense. Again, it's a defense that had to be reworked over the last couple of years, too. I mean, credit to John Lynch for finding an influx of young talent. Like, Bufanga has been a revelation there. And, um, yeah. you know, they've drafted so well and provided him the talent. But you see, you know, the way that he's been able to scheme things up and, and make this the number one defense in the NFL. It's 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 been incredibly impressive. And all the players seem to love him and respond to him. So absolutely, I think he's a guy. Because you think now, like, everybody's targeting the young offensive coaches. But Robert Sala's success, I think, has to bode well for another defensive guy getting a job. And even even though the record isn't great in Chicago right now, seeing Matt Eberflus get that job, bring in a good young offensive mind with him, and you're seeing fields start to develop. I mean, everybody, I think, knows that team just doesn't really have a ton of talent. But I think Eberflus is – you're seeing them develop and you're seeing some stability there. So uh, even though the record isn't great, I think that bodes well for a defensive coach getting another job as well. Now, keeping the kind of defensive theme here, Nick Bosa, is he a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate? I think he is. I mean, you, you see the impact that he has out on that field every single week. I mean, he's just just multiple impact plays every single game, week in and week out. Um, it's, it's been incredible to watch. And I do think it's kind of a wide open race right now. I think Michael Parsons is probably still the favorite. Um, he's cooled off a little bit after coming out of the gate so hot. Um, but I think you still give him the edge, but I think it's anybody's game right now. Matt, before we let you go, I do have to ask, we brought up Trey Lance earlier and I'm curious 
of your opinion just of him in turn we haven't seen much of him and he hasn't played much in the last few years but do you see him as somebody that can take this team to the next level where are you in terms of him being a few maybe a future star in the league man and that's the toughest thing beyond just you know feeling for him on a personal level for having to go through that injury for the organization it's another year that you lose and being able to evaluate him with the with the clock ticking on that rookie contract and uh, from it's really hard to say from what we've seen from him so far, because as you said, the sample size isn't big enough. But I look at traits and the arm strength, the mobility. I, I saw some of the mental development from him, even just in the preseason of how he was reading defenses and, and making pre-snap decisions. Um, and those are the areas where I feel like, you know, from what, when we saw him in as a rookie, he struggled in, and I saw a lot of growth there, a lot of development there. Obviously, we know he's a really intelligent guy. Uh, we know he's super athletic. I think he has all the tools to be really successful, and I'm as bummed as you guys are that we didn't get to see it this year really come to fruition. But, again, this could also be an opportunity, too, for him to hone the areas of his game mentally that he needs to work on, even though he can't do things physically. And uh, hopefully by next year, he's feeling healthy and, and we get a real good look at him. But I, I, I think the ceiling is um, is tremendously high for Trey Lance. And, and I hope he can get back to health and, and we can really see what he has. Matt, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. We love what you're doing at FanDuel. Uh, hope that, you know, the sky's the limit for you, man. So keep up the good work. And, and we love seeing you on air. And we got to do this again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate you having me. You do a phenomenal job as well. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thanks, it, man. man. Thanks for being on, Matt. Appreciate it, man. Of course. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. All right, Zane. So, yeah, we have to uh, talk about the Steve Young, Jimmy Garoppolo situation. Steve Young has been pretty honest about this since really for the past couple of years that he thinks that that one of the reasons Kyle has been so conservative is that he doesn't trust Jimmy. And recently, what was he on KMBR? Yeah, I think. So what he said is he goes, okay, the conversation goes back. We've had about Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, because I can guarantee you that Kyle would love to throw for 500 yards in a game. He's like his dad. I'm telling you, it's really just how they manage each other and how they create the space for each other. The management is full speed ahead. They're managing each other and that's how it is in the faith. And that's fruit fruitful. And that's fine. Um, and he says the idea philosophically that Kyle wants to run the ball is not true. And people need to leave that behind. Very interesting to me. Cause I think young is tied into the team. I think he's around the team and this isn't breaking new ground, but I just feel like does Kyle have to get over this at some point? If, if they're going to get to that next level and, and Jimmy is Jimmy's still Jimmy and Jimmy misses reads and Jimmy, you know, all that stuff. But at some point, does Kyle have to say, you know what? Screw it. I got to take the training wheels off. I got to see what this guy can do and, and just let him kind of sling it around a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, so here's the thing about Steve young. I, and I love Steve young. Like I'm a, probably a more of a Steve guy than a, than a Joe guy. Although like, I feel like Joe was the better quarterback, but in terms of personality, approachability, all that stuff, Steve was like a far more approachable guy. So that being said, I don't know if it's so much Steve being tied into the team as it is Steve being tied into the Shanahan's because for those of you that are too young to remember the reason why Steve young very much so has a super bowl ring is because of Mike Shanahan being the offensive coordinator in here in 94. And that, 
essentially got Steve's got him over the, the hump, got the monkey off his back, the famous monkey that we always talk about, Joe Montana. And that got Steve his his first ring as a starter. Remember, it's funny because people say Steve has one. He has three rings. Okay. He has two two as a backup, one as a starter. So let's not <laughs> I hear that all the time. Let's not get that confused. But I think that this is more so Steve being tied into the Shanahan's instead of Steve being tied into the team. And the reason why is because he's going to advocate for Kyle because Kyle's dad got him a ring. I mean, Steve did the work, right? But like Kyle's dad helped get him a ring. And I rarely have heard Steve criticize Kyle at all. So it's like, you know, I understand that what Steve is saying is probably true, to be honest, because Jimmy is limited. He is a mid-tier quarterback. He does make mistakes. He does turn the ball over in, in opportune times. And that does have an effect on how a coach calls a game. But I'm with you, Al. If you if you keep bringing this guy back and if you keep, if you keep putting him back on your team, at some point the onus falls on you for bringing him back. Mm-hmm. And at some point the onus falls on you to not be able to open up the playbook. Look, Andy Reid had Alex Smith for a couple of years in Kansas City, and they made it work over there. It was it was still kind of check down city over there, but they still made it work. Alex Smith was not turning the ball over. He became a Pro Bowl quarterback. He became really efficient, and obviously, yes, adding Tyreek Hill helps. And having Travis Kelsey in these guys, it helps. But mm-hmm. that being said, they were able to make it work over there. And Andy Reid, I think, is on par with in terms of like the comparison, what Kyle is. So the answer to your question is that I feel like, yeah, eventually, like this can't be a crutch for you. You eventually have to like open it up and see what he can do and actually try to win games. It was another game against the Chargers where the defense had to close out. If they, they could have scored a touchdown right on the goal line, it's game over. You don't your defense doesn't even make a stop. That's it. And they kicked a field goal instead. It was still a one-score game. And the defense had to make a stop at the end. And I can't tell you how many times that's happened over Kyle's tenure here. And I don't know if that's – Kyle was that way when Jimmy started in 2019. Like that was – this is not like a, a, a new thing. He's been doing it for several years. So my question is, is that is this a Kyle thing? As you mentioned in the last show, he's blown a couple of big leads that probably affect how he coaches. Mm-hmm. Or is it more so a Jimmy thing? And I think it's a combination of both. Yeah, I just, it's not going to go away. It's not going to go away until either they start scoring a lot of points or or get over the hump and maybe it'll never go away. I don't know. And, but you know, Lance was running a lot. (laughs) So, so maybe he, that's just Kyle. He, he just, he wants to keep it as just conservative as possible. If he doesn't have full trust in his quarterback. And I don't know, maybe he'll just never have a quarterback that he, that he fully trusts. Maybe it just kind of is what it is. I don't know. But his dad was like that too. Mike Shanahan was exactly like that. He never set, settled on a quarterback after Elway. Although he did have Cutler for a few seasons, but like he never settled on a quarterback for the the, the long, long term because they eventually traded Cutler anyways. Yeah, and it'll be interesting because if Kyle keeps winning, he's not going to go anywhere. So if he does that with disposable QBs, I guess that's that happens. I mean, even if Trey Lance is a bust and the Niners are still making the playoffs and making runs, he's not going anywhere. You know, they'll trust him to keep plugging guys in, I guess, if they win. But time will tell with all that. Wanted to touch on, too. So our buddy Akash wrote an article for Niners Nation. Um, and I, you know me, I don't really read a lot of Twitter comments because it's Twitter. But I was curious because he he met, he wrote an article basically saying um, about Debo Samuel and there are legitimate concerns about him regressing this year. And that was interesting because... There are legitimate concerns about that, I think. And, you know, people get up in arms about that. But in in reality, look, Debo was Superman last year. And I don't think anybody in the world thought that that was going to continue. It's just not it's not feasible to do to have multiple seasons like that, especially back to back. It was one of the better wide receiver seasons we've ever seen or wide back, whatever you want to call it, in 49ers history. And I thought it was fair to point out that he's not having a great year. And if you look at it, 
Right now, he's got a 56% catch rate. He's got 34 catches on 60 targets. He's got 11.7% drop rate. He's dropped seven balls so far. His QB rating when he's targeted is 68.1. And even running the ball, he's got just 60 yards on his last 16 carries. So that's not saying that Debo can't explode the next eight games. We've seen him do it. Of course, we know he can do it. Um, it's not saying that Debo is not a, a dynamic player. It's not saying any of those things. It's just saying that, yeah, he's he, he's regressed a little. And I don't know that it's cause for concern because there's it's kind of been the whole offense. It's not like Kittle's blowing up and Ayuk is blowing up and all these people are blowing up and Debo's just not. It's kind of been the whole offense. And I thought going into this season that you were going to have a George Kittle game and you were going to have a Debo Samuel game and you'd have a Brandon Ayuk game and it would kind of go all over the place. But it's kind of been an overall slog. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not concerned with Debo. I still think, you know, he's capable of a big play at any point, but I think it's fair to say that he's not having a great season. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not – it's one of those things where there's one ball, right? And we knew that this would eventually happen where you would have them kind of not fighting over it, but you would have an, an issue with distributing that ball amongst so many playmakers, especially with McCaffrey now coming on, the, coming on the scene. And the vision that you had is the same vision that I had where it could be death by any any different way. And they just seem totally disjointed. They, they really have. And the only guy that's really gotten going – has been Ayuk. And the worry that I have, because we constantly worry on the show, the worry that I have <laughs> is that if they if teams start to key on Ayuk and shut him down, this is a silly thing to say, but they haven't been able to do it thus far this season. But if they key on Ayuk and shut him down, like what's the Niners offense going to do? Are they going to be able to get the ball to everybody else? Because thus far they haven't been able to. It's just really been Ayuk has been the guy dominating the, the stat sheet. And then since McCaffrey came here, he's he's been the other one. And regarding Debo he has he's had some drops which he did last year too like that's just part of his game unfortunately right now and I think that it's not so much that they have forgotten about him it's just that I don't think that Kyle has found a rhythm with so many playmakers on offense and it takes some time and if you add another playmaker it adds to that time for them to be able to get adjusted we you, you put out the stat a few weeks ago before the buy talking about how they're a much better second half team. It's because I feel like the offense takes time to gel under Kyle every year with the mm-hmm. little nuances that he puts in and, and the experience they have together with, with new teammates. And you throw Christian McCaffrey in there and it's going to kind of decelerate that process even more because that's a significant piece that you added. So I don't know if it's just a funk, if they're just not able to give him the ball or if he's not getting open or whatever it is, but luckily they've been able to get by with Ayuk and he's really kind of flourished. But I think that going forward, I would love to see both Debo and Kilmore involved. But it's going to be hard because, I mean, Elijah Mitchell's back as well now, too. Yeah, a lot of mouths to defeat. And again, I, I don't care who's doing what as long as the end result is touchdowns and points. And until they start scoring points, it's going to get picked apart. It just it just is. Um, yeah. I have a I stat, Al, actually. I yeah, a stat I'm that. So I know I know you love stats. So this one's from... Um, Jordan Elliott, uh, slash cousin, Niners Nation, um, fantastic uh, content creator. So he tweeted out that uh, the average points per game in the NFL is the lowest that has been since 2009. The average yards per completion is the lowest since that has been since 1933. The average yards per, per carry in the NFL is the highest in history. So yeah, I think he got that from, from I think he got that from NFL Live because <laughs> I had the same okay. stuff from Dan Orlovsky. <laughs> All right, fine. 
So Dan Orlovsky gets credit. Dan Orlovsky and, and, and Jordan both get we'll credit give, for that. We'll give, yeah, we'll give them both credit, I guess. Yeah, so it's crazy. Right? Like it's crazy. Yeah. And 21.8 points per game in regular season games right now, which is the fewest since I think that says 2002, 2000-something. Uh, I'd have to see because um, I can't read my own handwriting. But, yeah, they were talking about it on NFL Live and talking about how the game is changing. And it's really – I love – one thing I love about football, Zane, like with the X's and O's and, and just the back and forth – offenses were spread out right and there were big plays and the league was built to defend that and now all of a sudden teams are going saying okay you're going to defend you know spread or or speed we're going to start pounding the ball again we're going to start running in between the tackles and a lot of these teams aren't equipped for it because they have smaller guys on the inside now um they were saying talking about how the space eating defensive tackle was becoming sort of a thing of the past right where marcus Mm -hmm. spears was saying in his day that you know bill parcells would just tell him you eat up the blocks and then the linebackers will clean up in the running game and now those guys don't really exist so it's shifting so is it going to be interesting to see in the draft are those space eating defensive tackles going to start you know getting drafted higher again and and being back in the league or is there going to be another adjustment but it, it is it is crazy that and I, that the league is going that way because you have all these dynamic QBs and these dynamic offenses that aren't performing right now, right? And even you say, well, Al, you're always on the Niners not performing, but that's the league. The Niners are 18th in scoring and 20th in rushing average right now. So it's not like they're not doing these things and they're still in the top 10. They're in the bottom half of the league. So the Niners are doing kind of worse than everybody else and those things that we're constantly bitching about. Just FYI, <laughs> but to see the league go this way now, it's, it's it's crazy. And for me personally, I love old school football. Like, give yeah, me a maybe. good twenty to seventeen. I don't want to see a sloppy twenty to seventeen game, but give me a good defensive twenty to seventeen game where the offenses really have to earn it and they're running the ball and everything like that. I loved what um, Washington did Monday night to beat the Eagles. They 16, yeah. 16 play drives having the ball for eight minutes, running the football. I just, I, I loved it. I love that kind of football. I kind of hope it's going back to it personally. Yeah. And, and they, the Eagles, as a result of that signed in Dominican suit today, who, by the way, so, uh, so I want to get your, you get your opinion on the, the suit thing, but you mentioned how the, the traditional run stopping, like the one tech D tackle is just, it's just a thing in the past. Who, who, what do you think of that position? Who do you think of? You think of remember Gilbert Brown, Right, Gilbert Brown, oh, yeah. yep. Keith Trailer, Ted Washington, uh, Vince Wilfork, Haloti Nada. Like these guys were like giants in the middle, and you just don't see that anymore in the NFL. And I, and I kind of miss that because that was an important position. They used to eat up blocks and enable guys behind them to be able to get get free and roam free. And I think that when the Niners had Vic Fangio running their defense, and they're running three four. That's what the the benefit of of a Justin Smith was, although he wasn't a D tackle. A guy that could eat up blocks that let your linebackers roam free and make and, and be able to, to, to flow to the ball. And that's I, I love that. I love that type of football. I'm not I'm not a six three defensive battle type of guy, but mm-hmm. I'm also not like a you know fifty-four to forty-eight type of guy, right? Or fifty-two to forty-eight yeah. type of guy where you just have no defense. That's just not that's just not fun to me. So I, I think that and I and I hope that we're shifting more towards defense because especially nowadays when everything is tilted towards the offense, all the rules, everything like that, you can't hit a quarterback. The Justin Herbert thing, we saw that last week. You you can't breathe on a quarterback. You can't breathe on a receiver. There'll be a flag. And despite that, scoring is down. So I don't know if it's teams just not being healthy or ineptitude or parity or whatever it is, but I think that it creates for a different brand of football, which is frankly kind of nice to see because that's kind of 
we sound like old heads here, but Al, that's kind of what we grew up on, right? That's the type of football that we that yeah. we used to watch. And we have a question from um, Chris Johnson coming in on YouTube. He said, would you have taken a flyer on Sue given the unknown with Kinlaw and Armstead's injuries? I would have, yes. And I know, Zane, I know you, you had some issues maybe with his character. For me, with Sue, even if he, even if he is still a character thing, I, I think you come in, one, it's only for a half a season and then a playoff run. And I think the Niners have a good enough structure, a good enough locker room, good enough pieces, good enough leaders where that wouldn't have been an issue. And I think you put things in, in the contract where if it is an issue, they can just boot them anyway. Again, it's not you're going to have anything. I, I would doubt he's getting anything guaranteed. I don't know. We'll see. But um, I don't think it would have been an issue. And I would have taken a flyer on him because like Matt said, and like we've been saying that the, the Niners are all in. So if you are all in and you're not sure Kinlaw is going to come back, I heard that they said they expect him back, but you don't know what he's going to be. He's had knee issues forever. I would have, I would have done it. Worst case scenario, you have Kinlaw and Sue, <laughs> you know? So I, personally for me, I, I, I would have taken the flyer, but maybe they weren't in on it. You know, the Eagle, I think it's a great pickup for the Eagles. They got, again, they got kind of housed in the run game on Monday night and they go out. I think they send Linville Joseph too. And then they get him and Sue and, and they addressed it. Eagles are going to be a problem. I think going forward, I think they're a really good team. Um, so it's good. Yeah. But for me personally, I, I would have taken the flyer. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because they did try to put the waiver claim in for Jerry Tillery, the the Chargers tackle that was recently waived or uh, released. So they did try to upgrade that position a little bit, but I was so I wasn't necessarily against the Endomican Sue signing or a potential signing. I, I just I just have my questions about it. Anytime mm-hmm. you can add a player that caliber, like he had six sacks in his last full season, right? Which is pretty impressive at, at his advanced age, 34, 35 years old. So especially being not an every down guy, they wouldn't even play every single down. So I think that I can see the fit and I, and I really do think that he would make a difference if had they signed him. But I think that a lot of people are, are ignoring the fact that this guy did have issues and this guy was a problem in several locker rooms. And, and he famously in Detroit had all of those issues over there, both on the field and in the locker room. And then in Miami, I actually just tweeted out an article today in Miami. He admitted himself that he had a terrible attitude that was affecting himself and the team. So do you really want the potential for that? And on top of that, he takes stupid penalties because he does dumb stuff on the field. So are the Niners, number one, good enough to overcome that dumb stuff on the field? They have enough penalties as it is that they are disciplined about. And the second thing is, is that, yeah, like it is a, it is a risk and reward sort of thing where he might be a good citizen because he's chasing a ring and, that, and that's totally reasonable. He may have learned from his past mistakes and, and changed. I think that's totally reasonable. But I think that, it was a, a risk reward thing for the team. And they decided that they didn't want to, they didn't want to take the risk for whatever reason. And, and Kyle talked about them looking into it. So they did look into it, which I think is a good move by them. It's prudent, but ultimately the team decided, not me, the team decided that it wasn't worth the risk. So John Lynch was just on uh Tolbert and Copes. And he said, we talked to him, Sue last year and we talked to him earlier this year and it just never came to fruition i think ultimately it sounds like he really sought the eagles as a place he wanted to be and you can't and you can't get them all he's a good football player who's on the back end of his career but i'm sure he'll help them in a good pickup for the eagles so that's what lynch had to say about it and the look the eagles i think are going to be a team that the niners are going to absolutely see i do because i think i think the niners Okay, I've been saying this. I know I bitch about them constantly, but when they get in the playoffs, I think 
they are one of the last teams you want to see because they're physical. They play good defense. They have playmakers. They've, they've, I know they've, they haven't finished the deal, but they do find a way to win playoff games. They have won four playoff games in the two years that they've been there. So mm-hmm. I think when they get there, the Eagles, I don't worry. I know the Vikings keep winning. I think the Niners match up pretty well with the Vikings. The other teams, I don't know. I'm as, I'm as worried about in the NFC. The Bucks can scare me a little bit, but the Eagles are the team that I think, I think if the Niners do what they're capable of and the Eagles do what they're capable of, I think the Eagles are the team that the Niners will ultimately have to get through. Um, and look, they're, they they got, they, they got a great squad. They have a really great squad. And if Hertz keeps doing what he's doing, but you know, look, it's a good pickup for them. I think the Niners defense is, is nothing to sleep at. Obviously if the corners can, can hold up opposite of board going to be okay, man. So it'll be fun to see. I, I do see thinking of an Eagles Niners NFC championship with those two squads. I don't want to get ahead of myself and you know me, I'm a, I'm a wet blanket. I don't think it's going to happen anyway, but you heard it, it here we, first. Al Sacco predicts Eagles I'm, I'm Niners not. championship game. I just look at those two teams and I think like the bucks will always scare me because they're, they're the bucks. There's tons of talent, yeah. right? You know, Brady's there. You can not, ne- you can never, I think of the Niners matching up with other teams when it comes to playoff time, the Eagles scare me. The Bucks scare me. I don't know that anybody else them. really scares me. Yeah, I, yeah, I think Dallas still, you know, yeah. yeah, Dallas seems to kind of always get in their own way some somehow. Yeah. Um, does Dallas's front scare me? Yeah, but I, the Vikings well, can I mean, go sixteen and one, and they wouldn't scare me. They they won't. Yeah, like the the other thing we have to remember is that when we talk about other defenses facing the 49ers offense like no there's no defense that wants to be run at like 40 times a game nobody right. wants that especially nowadays right. with like we just talked about it right with smaller fronts nobody wants that nobody wants to be run at 35 40 times a game and i feel like if the 49ers can execute that sort of game plan not necessarily 40 runs a game but run it 30 plus times at a team it wears on you it wears you down and despite the fact that they didn't get too much until Elijah Mitchell played against the Chargers and the Chargers had a bad run defense, they were mm-hmm. eventually able to wear them down. Elijah Mitchell had almost 100 yards. So that's the type of thing that wins when it comes to January and February football. And oftentimes it's one or two plays. And the Niners, you can argue, have been one or two plays away from having two more Super Bowls, three if you count with the Harbaugh years, but we won't talk about that. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll see how it goes. Um a lot, of, a lot of season left, you know, there's, there's a big second half coming and, and they have a big division game, regardless of whether it's Colt McCoy or, or the Cardinals third string, string quarterback, they have a big division game coming up. And we'll talk about that later in the week. Um, probably release something, maybe, maybe Monday morning we'll release something. Who knows? Who knows what's going to come out for a preview show? We'll see. But until then, Zane, look, it's, there are, again, a lot of things to be positive about for the team. We'll see where they go from, from here. I don't know. I, I do feel positive about a playoff run. I'm not going to allow myself to say that, but I, I feel positive about what's going to happen the next day game. So they got to, they got to, they got to sweep the division. You have to, yeah. like you have to win both games against Arizona. You have to win now that game in Seattle. It may very well be for the, I mean, it's not the last game of the season, but it may very well be for control of the division. And yeah. I freaking hate that. Cause I hate when they go up there and play, it's going to be rainy. It's going to be cold. Their stupid fans are going to be loud and drunk idiots <laughs> like they always are. And they, it's just, it's just, they, they rarely went up there. The last time they won was when Jimmy won up there. Actually, well, they had a lead last year and they kind of blew it, but yeah, that, 2019, that game, right? 
Yeah, they had a lead yeah. last year. That that fake punt last year kind of turned the tide, but they were they were dominating last year. So I think that they they can, but man, I, I don't want it to come down to that, and I, I have a bad feeling that it will. But the Niners are going to take care of business, right? That's what we're going to say. Can't wait, can't wait, baby. <laughs> Let's also, go. Also, before before we get out of here, uh, I, I did want to kind of get your thoughts on uh, this whole Trent Williams thing and the whole oh, tipping. The, the stance thing it's the it was the talk of 49ers twitter for like a solid 24 hours national wow. guys gone involved former players gone involved and I'm like are you kidding me so i'm for those of you who don't know like i'm a former pitcher right like i, I was a pitcher in college right so there was so much on like you don't want to tip your pitches you don't want to shrug your shoulder the wrong way or like i remember way back in the day Greg Maddox was tipping pitches because you know how you have your finger out of the glove, like mm-hmm. when you're, when you're, when you're pitching and stuff. So he was lifting his finger off of his glove when he was throwing a curveball, and he gave up like two or three hits in a row. And then somebody told him, and then he stopped doing that. And then the rest of the game, he was fine. So in baseball, it's very much a thing because you can control pitcher versus batter. You can control that interaction because it's one-on-one. But when you're talking about football, there's all sorts of tells that happen that guys, that guys do. And it doesn't matter Emmanuel Acho kind of broke it down. He had like, there's, there's seven different steps that defender has to go through on every single play. And you looking for a tell is one of those things that falls so far down the totem pole that you, it doesn't even matter at that point. I I like to, I tweet often just because, you know, I, I do content and I just kind of want to keep, you know, one of, I like to share cool things with the fans and like, like to put stuff out there when I have a thought, sometimes I just tweet it about football. Cause I'm always thinking about football, but other than that, I, I don't spend a ton of time on, on Twitter. Um, I, I just, yeah. So that's, I guess that's my answer to that. I, I did see that some things go through with it. I, I paid almost, I'll be honest with you. I can't speak on it. Cause I paid almost no attention to it whatsoever. So I, I don't know <laughs> if Trent Williams is tipping things. He's had a really good career. He should keep doing it. Yeah, so, I I, I, there's so many people that came out and they said that it didn't even matter if he was tipping things because he's he's been having a really successful and really good season despite that. So I don't. Yeah, no, it's, it's just cool. Funny. Look, if somebody saw something and it's about. I, I love the discussion. I love the discussion. I'm not one of those people yeah. who knocks people for saying something or whatever. Like, great, it's a discussion. It's content. Great, let's talk about it. And it, I guess it, it started a lot of conversation. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm all for that stuff, but I just personally, I, I didn't. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I just, I'm not for going back and forth with former players and former offensive linemen, guys who've done this for their entire career, literally they're living and they've done it in their entire lives and they know what they're talking about. It's like, all right, at some point, you, number one, you got to take the L and the other, the other thing is that like, we got to be respectful of their opinions. I feel like the Twitter has become this space where everybody's just an expert all the time. And it's like, well, Hey, oh, I have, yeah. Like it's, it's a, it's a cesspool. Like I, I've watched a uh, brain surgery online. So therefore I'm a brain surgeon because I've seen <laughs> yeah. it on YouTube. You're doing right? the wrong thing, man. You, I, I saw it on <laughs> YouTube. You have, you have to do, do, do this thing. Yeah. Again, I, I didn't really pay much attention to it. I'm, I'm all for starting conversation, but it is just a general thing of Twitter. Yeah. It is literally people will like argue with expert people who are actually experts and people were like, yeah, well, this is what I think. And you're wrong. And you're like, I've literally been doing this for 20 years. I'm not wrong. But yeah, it's it's a total cesspool. I heard it's going to blow up anyway. Right. It's going to shut down. So maybe. The oh, man, my thoughts on on Elon. So here's here's the thing. Look, we're not we're not a, a oh, podcast or anything. This is just my opinion. This doesn't reflect the opinions of this podcast. But my day job is in tech. Right. This is what I've been doing for my entire career. So a decade and a half that I've been doing this. And 
for the last decade at the management level. So for me to see what Elon has done to Twitter, he is a punchline in the, in the tech community, right? And, and people may not agree with this, but my particular company that I work for, we never do anything that he does. We don't ever look at Elon Musk and be like, hey, we should do what Elon Musk does. Instead, it's like, hey, we should not do what Elon Musk does. We should do the opposite. So all of this stuff that he's doing and all of the, hey, he's really cleaning out and all this stuff. No, man, that's not the case. The entire tech community, at least in the Bay Area, is looking at this and pointing and laughing and saying, wow, what a freaking clown show. And I feel really bad for the people at Twitter. And I feel really bad for the people that have been laid off. So I hope those people land on their feet. All I knew about him is that he had a, he has a spaceship and he bought Twitter. Those are the only two things I know about the guy. Did he do something with a spaceship? Yeah, SpaceX, which is great. I mean, I feel like he's made a lot of advancements. Like, hey, I have an EV, right? And I would not have my car without Elon Musk, right? So he's made he's made a lot of advancements technologically that have helped the world. But that being said, like, you know, he is a giant asshole too. <laughs> Zane, I don't know. Is he going to, like, I don't know who this Elon guy is. Is he going to come after us now because you're calling him an asshole? Is he going to Is he going to cancel us? Is He's listening to the podcast right now. He's like, these two guys, we're not going to get the algorithm on Twitter. Whatever, man. If that happens, we'll just boot you, and I'll blame it all on you. I don't even know. <laughs> there we go. I don't even know. Just, just like old, it's just just like old times today. Al, me and you. Although I miss Brian. Hope I miss he, Brian uh, hope... a little bit today too. A yeah, little bit. Brian can't call him, but I missed him a little, little bit. <laughs> so, all right, we got to get out of here. For Zane, yep. this is Al. Peace. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company. 